0: Well, our pre-communion service is an opportunity for us to examine ourselves in the light of God's Word and to confess our sins before we come to the Lord's table. And in a sense, we don't really need a particular pre-communion service for this communion season because we've really had an extended pre-communion season uh, or series as we've been working through the Ten Commandments over the past few months. Uh, As we've gone through those commandments, we came to number seven this morning, we've been confronted, haven't we, by something of the breadth and the depth of God's holy law. Again and again, we've been convicted of our failure to keep God's commandments. But the Ten Commandments are not just there in the Bible to show us what rotten failures we are. Uh, of course they show us that. But if that's all that we ever feel as we study the commandments, well, it's a little bit like going into the doctor's surgery and being told that you are seriously ill, but then running out the door in anguish rather than staying and listening to the cure, and the treatment for the serious illness that you have. Because there is a cure for the illness of sin that we have. Yes, the Ten Commandments show us that we can't keep God's law, not in and of ourselves. But they also show us that we desperately need a Savior The commandments show us that we need someone to come and keep God's law for us in our place. We need someone to take the punishment for our failure to keep the commandments. And that's what I want us to think about together over our communion season. The good news about our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who kept all of god's commandments perfectly in our place and then died to pay the penalties of the law that we incurred and we need both of these things in order to be saved we need someone to live the perfect life that we cannot live and we need someone to die the cursed death that we deserve and i want us to focus this evening on Christ's sinless life in our place, and then next week, God willing, on his death in our place. So we're thinking this evening about Christ's life for us, Christ's obedience for us. And I just want to make two simple points this evening. First of all, Jesus kept the commandments Jesus kept the commandments. It says in Hebrews 4.15, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Speaking about Jesus Christ, he was tempted in every respect, just as we are, and yet without sin. And the more you think about those words, just those few words, in the light of the Ten Commandments, the more remarkable they become. For 30 years plus, this man, Jesus, never once did or said anything wrong. More than that, positively, at every moment, he said and he did exactly the right thing. It's not just that he didn't do wrong things, he did the right thing in the right measure at every moment for 30 plus years. More than that, It wasn't just his outward actions and his outward words. His inner life was perfectly without sin. His thoughts, his feelings, his will, his desires, his reactions, his attitudes, his motives, his disposition. In everything that he was, he was perfectly without sin. In his inner life. Not once. Not for so much as a nanosecond. Was there even the tiniest, most infinitesimal departure from the perfect law of God. And you've got to remember, uh, as you think about this, the context in which the Lord Jesus lived out his life. He wasn't living as a man in a closeted tower far, far away from the corrupting influence of sinful people being ministered at the top of the tower by angels. No, he was right in the thick of it. He was plunged into the middle of this fallen world. He was surrounded constantly, literally, by sinners. He was in close contact with sinners. He was experiencing throughout his life all the weaknesses of humanity that give temptation its extra power. Think of how he experienced tiredness and illness. You know yourself, don't you, how hard it is to keep your temper and not to give in to self-pity and not to snap and say things without thinking that you don't really mean because you're tired or because you're not feeling well. And we excuse it. We say, I'm sorry, I'm not myself today. Of course, the problem is you are yourself. That is what you're like. You just don't have the strength to fight against that indwelling sin in your heart. Jesus knew what it was like to be tired He knew what it was like to be under the weather. And yet it never, ever, once, in any way, affected his perfect obedience. Think of his poverty. Jesus came from an extremely poor family. We know that because the offering that Mary and Joseph gave in the temple after his birth was the offering that was prescribed for the very poorest of the land, he was extremely poor all his life. And so you can imagine the temptation to covet the comfort of others, the plenty of others. As an adult, he had nowhere to lay his head. He owned nothing except the clothes that he wore. And yet he never, not once, envied anything. Just think of that. Never once. When we fight against coveting, we struggle at least not to express so that others can see the covetous feelings and thoughts that are inside us. But Jesus never once even felt the desire for something that wasn't rightfully his. He lived a life of perfect obedience under the pressure of constant, unrelenting temptation from the devil and from the world all around him. You imagine a submarine down at the very bottom of the deepest ocean. Hundreds of atmospheres of pressure that are bearing down and pressing in on the hull of that submarine, the tiniest little weakness, and the whole structure would be crushed flat in the blink of an eye. Just the slightest stray word, the the smallest fraction of envy, the least particle of lust, and our Savior would have been ruined. But there wasn't anything, not one single weakness. Weakness all those years that he lived here in this fallen world amongst fallen people. Instead, he perfectly loved the Lord his God with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind and all his strength. He perfectly loved his neighbor as he loved himself. Just think about what that looked like in the light of the commandments that we've been studying together over these past months. Never once did Jesus Christ have any other gods before the Lord. Never once did he allow anything or anyone to usurp that first place in his heart that belonged to God alone. Nothing, no one was more important to him than God. You remember how in the wilderness, the devil offered him power and ease and popularity, a life without the cross, a life without suffering, and he refused to put those things before the the Lord. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he faced the cup of God's wrath, and the horrific prospect of bearing the sins of all his people in every age, even then he refused to put his will and his preferences before God's will. He never had any other gods before the Lord. Never once did he make for himself a graven image. In other words, he worshipped the true God in the right way. Every Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, and he worshipped God, and he sang the Psalms, and he listened to the scriptures being read and expounded. He went to the temple, and he offered the sacrifices that the law demanded. And he didn't just go through the motions outwardly. He didn't just worship God with his lips and with his hands. His whole heart was fully engaged. He delighted to worship. He was worshiping the true God in the right way. He was concentrating his whole being on everything that was being sung and everything that was being prayed and everything that was being preached. Never once did the Lord Jesus misuse God's name. He never prayed or praised in an empty and thoughtless way. He never behaved in a way that was inconsistent with his profession of faith. God's name was never blasphemed because of his inconsistency or his hypocrisy. And every time he took God's holy name upon his lips, he did so with reverence and with love and with perfect faith. He always remembered the Sabbath day. He kept the whole of the fourth commandment. He labored hard for six days and did all his work. He was never lazy. He never procrastinated. He never cut corners. When he was a child at school, learning his lessons or doing his chores in the home and around Joseph's workshop or memorizing the scriptures, he did it all exactly as he was meant to do it. As a carpenter, he toiled hard at manual labor for six days every week. He did whatever he did with all his heart, not just when Joseph was watching, not just when a customer was waiting in the workshop, but when he was left to work by himself alone. He did his work to the very highest standard that he could under the circumstances. He kept his word even when it hurt. He fulfilled orders, even if it meant working late and getting up early. And then in his public ministry, at the end of his life, of course, we know how intensely he labored then. How often he went without food and sleep because he was working so hard. And then on the seventh day, he rested. He focused On worship and doing good to others. He always honored his parents. He obeyed them when he was a child and a teenager. And he respected them and he cared for them when he was older. It is just infinitely touching, isn't it, that while he's hanging on the cross in agony, And his strength is ebbing away. And he knows that in a short time, all the sins of all the world are going to be poured upon him. And God's wrath is going to descend on him in those three hours of darkness. And yet, what does he do amongst other things? While he's hanging on the cross, he makes provision for his mother and cares for her after he is gone. He submitted to his parents, even when they were in the wrong, as they must often have been in the wrong. And yet, he didn't argue with them. He didn't dispute with them. He submitted to their authority. And he honored all authority, not just his mother and father, but he honored all those who were set in authority over him, even wicked and godless rulers. He paid the temple tax he rendered to caesar what was caesar's he never once committed murder in his family home in nazareth surrounded by all his younger siblings when they were being mean and spiteful and ganging up on jesus and taunting him and behaving unreasonably never once did Jesus lash out with his tongue or with his fist? That's all the more remarkable, isn't it, when you remember the power that Jesus had? He could so easily have destroyed his enemies just with a word. You think of those who opposed him in his public ministry, who made who tried to make his life an utter misery, could have ruined them. He could have laid bare all their hidden secrets so that they would want to go and kill themselves. Remember how when the soldiers came to arrest him, he said those simple words, just two words in Greek, I am he. And the soldiers fell down as though dead before him. He could have done that to all his enemies. Could have called down fire from heaven to annihilate the cities that rejected him, and yet he never once gave in to sinful anger. Think of the insults, you think of the slanders that Jesus endured. These sinful, arrogant men called him a glutton, they called him a drunkard, they called him demon possessed, they said that he was a madman. And a blasphemer. And yet he returned blessing for cursing. When he was on trial before Pilate and the wicked leaders of Israel being falsely accused, being sorely provoked and being beaten, never once, not for a moment, not for a split second, does he do or say or feel or think anything that is wrong. instead he prays for God's mercy upon his murderers and his persecutors. He never once committed adultery. we were thinking about adultery this morning. how remarkable it is that as he went through puberty and all those normal god-given hormones began to develop and surge within his body, and new temptations began to assail his mind and his eyes. Never once did Jesus look at any girl or woman with anything but perfect purity. He lived his whole life as a single man, as a virgin, never once did he entertain a lustful thought or treat any woman with anything but perfect chastity. Jesus kept the commandments. He kept all the commandments. But then the second thing that we need to think about is that Jesus kept the commandments for us. He kept the commandments for us. This is why he did all of these things. It was for you because you can't. It was for me because I haven't and I can't. Can you imagine standing before a holy God on the day of judgment to be judged according to how you have kept the Ten Commandments. What would it be like to have your whole life laid bare in that way? Every action, every word, every thought, every desire. The very first commandment would leave us all guilty and condemned to an eternity in hell. We need a Savior. It's as simple as that. We need someone who can save us by doing what we can't do. We need someone who can keep the commandments for us. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done. That's why he was born as a human being. That's why he lived on earth for 30 years. It was to keep the commandments for you. As you think of coming to the Lord's table next week, I wonder, do you feel horribly guilty, and dirty, and unworthy because of all your sins? All the sins that you've been convicted of as we've worked our way through these seven commandments so far. How can I come to the Lord's table? Someone like me, who has done these things that I have done, Well, as you come, you need to remember that you're not wearing the filthy rags of your righteousness. You're not coming to the Lord's table on the basis of your own law-keeping. You're coming clothed in His spotless robe of righteousness. You're coming clothed in His obedience. And you're accepted by the Lord as long as you're trusting in what he did and not at all in what you did. That's what you've got to hold on to. That's what you've got to think about. He obeyed for you. He has obeyed because you can't obey. He kept the law for you. He didn't just die in your place. He lived in your place as well. He resisted every temptation because you and I can't resist temptation. So, whose law keeping are you trusting? Are you trusting your own? Your own record with the Ten Commandments? Or are you trusting Christ's? And that's the question, particularly for anyone here who may not be a Christian this evening. When you stand before your holy and righteous Creator in judgment, whose record of obedience do you want to be judged by? Do you want God to look at your record, or do you want Him to look at Christ's? Just think of your record. Think of your record when you were a child. All those moments of temper, temper, and selfishness, and lies, and greed, and envy, and spite, and disobedience? Do you want to trust in your behavior in the playground, or Christ's behavior in the playground at Nazareth? Think about your teenage years, the person you were with your school friends, the person you were with your teachers. Or do you want to trust in the person that he was when he was at school in Nazareth? Do you want to trust in your attitude in the workplace or his attitude in the workplace? Do you want to trust in your love for God or his love for God, your love for your neighbor or his love for his neighbor? Can any of us honestly think for a moment, as you look at your record over the decades, that we have even the slightest, remotest chance of being declared not guilty by the Holy Judge? Of course not. No chance. And the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to rely on your own obedience because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come and He has obeyed the commandments for us. All we have to do, all we can do is rely completely on what He has done and put our trust in Him, His record as our Savior. For those of us who are Christians, are you still relying, still trusting in the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ? We need to remember every day that that is what makes us righteous in God's sight. And it's not ever anything that we do. When we pray, we pray in His name. We ask that God will hear us for His sake. Don't ever for a moment think that you deserve to be heard for your own sake. The danger is the longer we live and the longer we serve the Lord as Christians, uh, the danger is that we start to think that we actually have some righteousness of our own that we can trade with. We must never, ever, ever think that. It's only and always His obedience. This is our great comfort in death. As we lie on our deathbeds, if we have the opportunity to think back over a life of sin and failure as we look ahead to the judgment that is ahead, what can give us any hope except this reality? I am wearing the spotless robe of Christ's righteousness that he made for me by living this life of perfect obedience when he was on earth. That's my only hope, what Christ has done for me and not anything that I have done for myself. One of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, one of the greatest theologians quite possibly of all time was J.G. Machen. He was greatly used by God to fight for truth against the massive compromises and heresies of his day. And yet, As he lay dying, his final words were, I am so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. One of the greatest saints who'd ever lived, and as he looked back over his life, as he looked back over his own record, he said, I have no hope apart from what Christ has done for me. When God looks at you in Christ. If you're a Christian this evening, gotta believe this. When He looks at you, He doesn't see your sins. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see all the ways that you've let Him down. He sees Christ. He sees Christ's perfect record. He doesn't see your bad temper. He sees Christ's perfect patience and love. He doesn't see your lust. He sees Christ's perfect purity and chastity. He doesn't hear your cruel words that you've spoken in anger. He hears Christ's sinless speech. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he did this by keeping the commandments not for himself, but for us, Amen O oh Lord, our God, again, we thank you for sending your Son into this fallen world, to live amongst fallen men and women, and yet to keep your laws perfectly, to do your will and to delight in it. We thank you, Lord God, that He did this not for his own sake, but only for our sake. We thank you that he has triumphed where every single one of us has failed. We thank you that we don't come to you now in prayer, and above all, we don't approach you on the day of judgment trusting in our own record. We don't have to perform to a certain standard in order to qualify for forgiveness and for salvation. For we have all failed. We have all broken all of your commandments to one extent or another. We all deserve nothing but your wrath and condemnation. But we thank you for a Savior, for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We thank you that he has done what we could never do, and that he has kept all the demands of every single one of your laws. and We thank you that that spotless record is ours if we have called upon him in faith. We thank you that that means that we are accepted in your sight. We thank you, Father, that it means that we are your children. We thank you that it means that we have eternal life, that we are no longer under judgment. Thank you that we are no longer children of wrath, but that we are those who have received mercy. We thank you that it means that next Lord's Day, we can sit at your table, not on our own strength, not for our own sake, but only because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Father, we pray that you will make these truths even more precious to each one of us than they already are. Especially, Lord, we pray that you will draw near to those who are bowed down by a heavy sense of their sinfulness. As we have studied through these commandments, as we have we've been convicted again and again, by the holy, perfect standard of your law and our shameful failure, we pray, Lord God, that we will be encouraged and blessed and spurred on and comforted by this good news that Jesus Christ has kept all the commandments for us. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.